This is Remixing, the Ithacan's music analysis and criticism podcast where guests curate a playlist of 8 to 10 songs that represents who they are. I'm your host, Arlie Rogers. In this episode, I spoke with junior Julia Macklin and sophomore Sarah Stoll. Their playlist, Open the Books, is a namesake of and tribute to their current movement protesting widespread faculty cuts at Ithaca College. The playlist covers ongoing civil rights movements and how they speak to Open the Books' fight for justice. Hello, how are we doing today? Pretty good. Pretty fine. (laughs) Yeah, nice and sunny out, even though it's freezing. I know, it's always, it's either, it's either... I don't know. I'm always happy when it's sunny out, even if it might be like absolutely freezing. It's better than the snow to me. And you were both just out in the cold for a protest, correct? We were last sure. Monday at 8 a.m. <laughs> it was what, like three degrees, Sarah? It was three degrees and we were out there for like an hour and a half um, screaming and marching and uh, making people uncomfortable in their cars. <laughs> they didn't want to look at us, but that's okay. Um, it was really fun. And then we came back out again at 12 in the quad and screamed again. And it was very fun. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about some music that you guys have picked out that relates to your um movement, I guess, Open the Books, which is um, an ongoing protest um, against faculty cuts that are happening at Ithaca College right now. Um, So before we go into the music, can you both just tell everyone a little bit about who you are, um, this playlist, like sort of how it came together, and then the music you like in general? My name is Sarah Stoll. I am a sophomore here at Ithaca College. I'm an environmental studies minor and anthropology major. My name is Julia Macklin. I'm a junior at IT. I'm a dual major in English and sociology. And I think to kind of put this together collectively, we have um, a very popular Slack channel with um, all the other open the books like organizers and um, supporters so we kind of compiled these songs together we kind of wanted to do like a chronological thing through like movement history a little bit influenced by music and I think like as you'll soon see um, movements in the U.S. have been so influenced by music and vice versa so there were a couple songs that we knew we wanted to add uh, that were really important to us and that are like eclectic and famous and um then we kind of filled in that yeah and we there's so much like great protest music out there and we just like hit the jackpot and luckily we just like knew from our own musical endeavors about some like really cool songs yeah we kind of wanted to cover like some anti-capitalist protests some women's protests so we have like little, you know, little uh, collective. I think uh, for me, um, this was like created specifically for Open the Books. Um, I I mean, look, I love a good protest song and Pete Seeger has been coming up on my rotation lately because of this playlist. But um, yeah, it's I think we wanted to make something little open the books special a little open the books one time only special 
for me, it's, like, a mixed bag. I'm, like, most of these songs are for, you know, the open book special, as Sarah so articulately put it. Um, but some of these songs, like, I definitely listened to. I was, like, raised on, like, Peter, Paul, and Mary and, you know, all that, like, 60s, 70s stuff. So some of this stuff is definitely familiar to me. How would you define your activism? At Open the Books, I guess we really like to keep, like, a non-top-down power structure because we're, like, fighting, like, the Ithaca College power structure that is, like, the administration at the top and the students at the bottom. Um, So I guess we... We like to call ourselves just general organizers. (laughs) It's kind of hard. Yeah, like non-hierarchical. A lot of the students, to go off of what Sarah said, a lot of us have been previously involved in SLA on campus, which is Students for Labor Action. And it's actually not an official, like, IC organization. Um, It really just comes together whenever, like, there's a movement or something happening on campus. We don't really say there's any lead organizers. We don't really have any, like, positions, like, VPs or, like, an e-board or anything. Yeah, and for anyone listening who wants to read a little bit more about um, the covers that the Ithacan has done on Open the Books, we have... Uh, a whole separate section on our uh, webpage about the academic prioritization process. It's also two of the, or three of our three front story pages in our last issue. Um, so yeah, go check that out. I think uh, one of the things I was thinking about while I was listening to this as well was like, um, you know, the position that you're coming from and like something that all Ithaca College students and faculty are going through right now, like what feels like a stripping away of the most important parts of the college. I wanted to give you both the space to shout out any individual professors or just talk about your experience as a student and how faculty may have impacted that. There are literally so many professors that we could shout out. There's so many amazing professors at this school. Um, I think for me, I come from a small department, the anthropology department. We are not huge. Um, And... But I truly think we are a really important department because uh, anthropology is literally just like understanding what it is to be a human in the world and how we, you interact with like the world around you. Um, and we were, we are in a weird place right now because we're like being turned into a program. We don't really know what that means. Um, apparently our department should be okay, but it's also, like, really unnerving to be in this, like, weird limbo place where, like, the admin is telling you that this is gonna happen, and you're like, I literally don't know what this looks like, I don't know what this means, no one's giving me any information, and, like, to be honest, they're probably not gonna, like, replace any professors after they leave the anthro department, so, like, there's going to be one archaeologist left at IC and um, who actually happens to be my minor advisor. (laughs) So it's a like weird, it's a weird place to be in. And Julia, if you want to like talk more about this, but like our, all of our amazing faculty mentors, 
that we've been working with on Open the Books have been so amazing. I guess just to talk about one of my departments um, is the English department. Oh my god, I have so many good things to say about the English department too. Are you in it as well? Yeah, I am. Oh my gosh. Love. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward, even like next semester um, is really going to show um, how the APP like is working and how hard it's going to be. So in the English department, we have two professors who are going to retire and then four of who are all the contingent faculty people um, are all slated to be fired, two of which are the only um, like by POC professors in our department. So it's gonna be even whiter than it was before. And then within the two semesters, five professors are going on sabbatical, three in one semester, two in the other, because some of them um, like were slated to this year, but sabbaticals were frozen because of the pandemic for this year. So the people who stay are gonna have such an increased workload. The classes um, that are offered are probably just gonna be the bare bones of the English department, which for somebody who like has taken a fair amount of classes and who's gonna be a senior is really frustrating and you know disheartening because I wanna take um, classes that are like the niches of each of my professors. Every professor has like a specialty. I mean, just to speak about my own experience in the English department too, I'm an English major and all of the professors that I've had are so knowledgeable and caring about their students um, and make their classes engaging and a huge reason why I stayed at Ithaca. Um, yeah, and I'm really grateful for all of the experiences I've had those professors okay well let's hop into the playlist um so the first song that we're going to be talking about today is a change is gonna come by sam cook it's from the 1964 album ain't that good news so why'd you choose to start the playlist with this one so i think this is a really like well-known song that a lot of people have associated with the civil rights movement and Sam Cooke was pretty involved in the civil rights movement um, in the 60s and 70s. Something that I found um, interesting about this song is that, I mean, the lyrics are really incredible. And Sarah can like go into an example in a little bit. But something that I found interesting is that this like whole song was inspired um, by some of his personal experiences. So... Um, particularly how he was once turned away from a whites-only motel in Louisiana. So the whole song is about how, like, a change is going to come, but how that, you know, like, the situation, especially for Black people in America, has just gotten too bad, kind of almost to this breaking point, and that there's nothing else to do except, um, like, you know, start a revolution. <laughs> yeah, um... It's definitely a cool song and like very, I think it can, it's, I'm probably going to say this about every song, but it's very like pertinent to now, you know, like, especially during this quarantine, we had so much like over the past nine months, um, there's been so many protests and so much amazing, like revolutionary actions. And I think like it has been a long time coming, but change is going to come, which is like the lyrics um like we've gotten to kind of this like breaking point in our country and things need to be changed and I think that's kind of how we felt 
here at Ithaca, even like on a much smaller scale, like we can only be stonewalled and gaslighted for so long. And then, you know, the the workers are going to unionize, the students are going to revolt, you know, it's it was kind of inevitable. But yeah. So I write for the Ithacan like I um, am a reporter and one of my favorite things about working in Ithaca and like being able to understand what's going on here is um, taking local reporting and like applying it to bigger movements that are happening like in the nation around the world whatever Um, and I think Open the Books illustrates that so specifically and clearly like the pandemic kind of came at this point where um, everything was like just about to boil over and then the summer came and we had all of these Black Lives Matter protests. Um, You know, now there's sort of, or it's been an ongoing conversation, but it's kind of resurfaced again um, with like racism against Asian Americans and um, injustice is happening everywhere. So why wouldn't it be happening at Ithaca College? (laughs) I think that's a great point. Like, People think um, Ithaca, like, nothing bad can happen, you know? I think it's kind of seen as a little, like, haven of, like, social justice. But, like, you know, we have, like, so many problems. I mean, like, you know, the the Tompkins Worker Center, the um, Ithaca Tenants Union, like, they're all working to create, um, like, an Ithaca that is more welcoming and a better place and... There's like so many things that need to be addressed. And I think a lot of people are really frustrated with like um, the Ithaca, like political leadership that's going on. Um, They don't feel like they're represented. And I think like, you know, Ithaca is very small and it might not be on like the national news, but like it is representative of like such a larger system and problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what is great about Open the Books as well is that it has made national news and it's getting the attention of some like major news outlets. The fact that, you know, we're sort of going through this thing that probably other colleges are going through and maybe um, students are speaking out about it or not. Yeah, it's true. We were just in, um, what's it called? Uh, what's the college? Inside, Inside Higher Ed. Yes. <laughs> Very exciting. Moving on to Solidarity Forever by Pete Seeger. This is from If I Had a Hammer, Songs of Hope and Struggle from 1998. This is a classic. Um, and like it's often like sung at protests. People like will like bring a guitar or like bring like a drum set or like, you know, something to bang on and often sing this together. And um yeah it's just like very well known I think like um around like movement organizers and in movements even if you don't like know the title of the song I feel like if you heard it you'd be like ah like my uncle loves this right yeah and it was um originally actually written by Ralph Chaplin uh not uh Pete old Pete but um I think it really got popular with uh Pete and it was written for the industrial workers of the world, uh, coined the first lumberjack anthem, <laughs> which I really liked. Uh, but it's all about like that strength in numbers mentality. Uh, I think the original version by Ralph Chaplin is a little more 
um, controversial in its lyrics, uh, a little more communist, one might say. It, it was, it's been adopted so many times by like so many different people and Pete Seeger, who has a great voice and sang it so beautifully and wonderfully. Um, yeah, like Julia was saying, it's such a classic. You can't like go anywhere with unionizers and not hear that song. It's like, it's the song. This is kind of the theme of the whole playlist, but I, I love the idea that you can use music um, and having music as this like unifying thing um, is something I'm really fascinated, fascinated by. And I think that this song and what you're saying clearly represents that. Music is a cultural constant. It's never gone away. Never will. Next song is For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield. It's from the album um, Buffalo Springfield from 1966. I learned actually doing research for this podcast that it was actually, um, so Stephen Stills, who is very famous and was in Buffalo Springfield, um, was inspired to write the song because of um, the Sunset Strip curfew riots in November of 1966, um, which Sunset Strip, if you don't know, is like a big, in Los Angeles, is a big, like, or was, I would say, now it's kind of gross, but it um, was like a big place for like uh, countercultural movements, people who are in like the goth movement, like, and who were in like, important punk scenes like hung out like you know um who like so many cool bands from like the 80s kind of originated in the like sunset strip scene um in like the punk era and um so the police were like you know you can't be going out and being like fashionable at night too late <laughs> and you can't be loud and it was like in a time of like, like, you know, 66 was like, you know, not that long after the 50s and kind of like the traditional gender roles. And it was like a super big like breakout of that, um, that kind of idea and that like constriction of humanity. And so there was just like riots for like, like two days or something. Um, and it was super like anti-police, anti like status quo anti-capitalism and yeah it's very cool and I feel like oh I know about this because I'm from Los Angeles so it's like hey it's this is about me I'm joking <laughs> it's about Sarah personally this is about me this was written <laughs> when I was a kid in 1966 <laughs> but yeah it also became like this song and a lot of Buffalo Springfield songs became really popular among organizers especially um in like Chicago there was also a lot of organizing and um some of like the big social movement groups that were full of a lot of like younger people I love these names um they're called the flower power movement and the yippies they also just you know use these songs a lot um at their gatherings yeah one thing um so I had a feeling we were going to be talking more about like the historical context of these songs but I should mention one of the things that struck me about the songs specifically um and then the playlist as a whole is that the first few are pretty um what's the word softer maybe um and softer in sound um not in message but uh you know 
it's a very nice intro and then um the next song or not the next song but the two songs down we have um sort of picks up a little bit um and I'm curious if uh are those like the two sides to how you imagine um like open the books and activism is like it's it is about peace and like we do love Ithaca College and we want things to be better and and mended um but there is a little bit of frustration and anger behind what's going on yeah like I mean I I, yeah like we have give peace a chance next and then oh bondage up yours and like I think we like as much as we are like diplomatic people and we won't we try to be like really like professional and you know activism should be like I mean it's not professional that's like the antithesis of activism but you know (laughs) we're like we're trying to get peace we're trying to get equality and equity and whatnot but also like we are so angry you know like and I think some of the songs that um we put at the like second half of the playlist kind of like represent a little more of that like emotional side that's so hard to suppress like we are so emotional and we are so angry and I think some of those songs really like captivate that feeling and capture like that idea of just like emotional just like getting your emotions out and just like spilling it all out spilling your guts out and I think that's what open the books is you know like in our meetings even like we'll be planning and we'll be like super organized and then we're just like this really sucks. Like, we're really angry. Like, I'm just so angry. And I think that's really, like, representative of how the whole student body and the faculty and the staff are feeling right now, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also, um, I was really struck when we got that email from uh, uh, President Shirley Collado about, um, you know. Vulgarity and vandalism? Yeah, vandalism is not the answer. Um, so what, what would you say to that? (laughs) I think it's been, um, interesting. We kind of haven't, how do I want to word this? Um, (laughs) talked like as student organizers, we haven't had a chance to talk like one-on-one with the administration yet. That being said, we have been talked about quite a lot, um, which is kind of a good sign that they're a little scared, um, but <laughs> is interesting. So in, um, I believe this was the all school meeting that happened. Was it the week before classes started or it was the week of classes? So it was, a, I think it was the week before classes started, a conversation between the senior leadership team, um, SLT, and SGC, which is the Student Governance Council. So this was a moderated like webinar and they didn't explicitly say that it was about open the books. Uh, they were like, listen, like bring whatever questions you have about the college currently, but that like unofficially we all kind of knew that it was supposed to be about open the books and we were asked you know like we were individually invited and everything and there was this portion um where so students would 
like into the moderated chat um ask questions and you can even see the chat you could only see like your own questions what you sent in so a lot of us asked questions that we had been talking about in our meetings about transparency about a lot of the things that we were unsure of and there's this one um portion of the meeting that I think was very similar to the rhetoric in that email um I forget the question Sarah I don't know if you remember what like sparked the um former activism conversation I think it was about like why are students not allowed to like protest like something along the line I think it was why have like why has like current student activism that's what it was yes and I think it was um now that you're sparking my memory I think it was related to that email because I think a lot of people didn't know about open the books before that and then read that email and they were like wait what like this doesn't make any sense we were also conveniently directly shouted out in that email um (laughs) which definitely added to our follower base um but yeah, so that question was asked and then people basically said like make let it made us know, made like known that President Coyado is quote unquote quite the activist and has marched to the commons with a flag in her hand for many causes. But like this cause is different. And then a member of the SGC went on I to literally talk about like formal and acceptable were I think those were the adjectives um that were used activism and what like formal activism look looks like and basically that like open the books was not doing formal activism and therefore it was bad um which I think like struck us um and was definitely just a sign of like how um the administration has been taking this and talking about this since the beginning. I think that also plays into just like the power dynamics of being a student organizer because we're, you know, held to this standard that to be taken seriously, which is like this whole construct in of itself, we have to, you know, like save face and like speak really articulately. And like, um, if we do anything, um, that is not that then we're knocked down so many pegs so this whole the whole art demo that brought on um like that email we didn't really see as an escalation uh we had planned it like it was the weekend before finals so we just kind of wanted to do something to make sure that like people didn't really forget about the movement over break because that's so often what happens and then people viewed it as like this radical thing um which was crazy because we were like this is not even a step up of what we've been doing yet like apparently we've jumped so far um so it's like this constant like back and forth um which is really interesting and also super frustrating absolutely (laughs) cool okay so our next song is give peace a chance by john lennon and yoko ono from the 2010 album signature box why'd you choose this one um we just thought it's kind of one of those like important counterculture songs um i mean like everyone has heard of the bed in that uh, Yoko Ono and John Lennon did in Montreal, which is not very far from here. Um, And uh, just like how that song was recorded, I think was really interesting. Like they were just in the hotel room and a bunch of people just brought instruments and they just kind of jammed out. It was like 
truly a song of the people, one could say. Um, and it became like a really big anti-war and countercultural um, song just because like I think so many people were so confused and frustrated as to why like the U.S. was doing this and making these decisions to go into this like super unnecessary situation. Um, and like when I think about that, on a much smaller scale here at Ithaca College, like we are literally just asking for like transparency. We are literally just asking for shared governance. Like we just want to be in the room where the decisions are made. And like, it's, it seems simple. Like, and I think that like message of the song is like, you know, just give peace a chance. Just like try it. Like how bad can it be? You know? And I, just a taste, just a taste of shared governance, please. Just a smidge. Um, yeah, and it's just an important song, I think, in, like, the revolutionary history of music. Totally. To go off of what Sarah said, first of all, with our own situation, I think something, and also, like, a stance that... Um, open the books is taken is not only are we adamantly against the APP process um and like what it is but how it's happening um it's like a so much lack of transparency and also like lack of consideration for faculty and stuff um that's just super like disheartening to see and yeah to go off of um the infamous bed in so it actually Yoko and John um did this for two weeks one was in Amsterdam and one was in Montreal and it happened in 1969 um when you know like anti-Vietnam stuff was happening and they were super active in that and they kind of did this um as like an art installation kind of um because Yoko Ono um you know very famous very well-known artist and they did this instead of um having a honeymoon after they got married because they knew that like they first of all like um just like class-wise they could go anywhere anytime um you know <laughs> given their status but that um like in this time particularly they were they knew they were going to be followed by press whatever they did so they wanted to use that like to their advantage to make a statement about something they'd already like been doing a lot which I think is really interesting and I think kind of is what um also like much smaller scale we're trying to use um everything that we have to our advantage here at IC, all our connections, our professors have been super involved, you know, reaching out to their mentors and people that they know from other colleges to bring in like this really great network, which I think um, just speaks to like the greater um, aspect and like cool aspect, I guess, of organizing and how much it's such um, of collective nature. Next song, um, Leaning more into the the grittier songs, we have Oh Bondage Up Yours by X-Ray Specs. This is from Germ-Free Adolescence, the anthology from 2001. Yeah, so um, I love Riot Girl punk music, so I really wanted to add some of that because um, it feels like really raw and gritty and like it's intense, which is how 
we're feeling. And this song specifically, I feel like is a great um, kind of intro to those songs um, because it has such an iconic message. Um, like the right girl movement in general was so important to like the punk scene and to punk music in general. And like they were like a British punk band and like with a female lead singer, which is, um, was not common for like that time. And, um, it's literally, it's like a big, you know, like feminist rallying cry, which I think is really powerful and important, but it's also like beyond that it's anti-capitalist, it's anti-consumerism, it's anti-servitude. Like it's, um, well, one of the lyrics, uh, Oh, wait, I literally don't have it. I thought I wrote it down. Never mind. But um, it's a call for, like, general liberation. And, like, I think you can see that in, like, the title of the song, Bondage. Like, that has such a like, intense image in your head. Like, you might think of something sexual. You might think of, like, someone tied up being kidnapped. Like, it's it's a really, like, it's a, it's good for imagining what they mean by this. And, like, if you look at the lyrics... Like, it's really about, like, I am not a woman bound by, like, materialism and consumerism and capitalism. Like, I'm going to live on my own accord and, like, literally up yours <laughs> for trying to, like, put me in this, like, place where I'm not allowed to be my whole self and have to live in this, like, shitty capitalist society. Yeah, totally. I think also what's so cool about this song, aside from being great, this was on uh, my workout playlist nice. for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's definitely like high yeah. energy. Um, but as Sarah said, I think this brings in a lot of different aspects and like a lot of different reasons why people mobilize and organize against capitalism, against sexism, um, against consumerism so it's really great to see that kind of like all packaged together um in a really great way yeah I love listening to angry women music at the gym uh, I yeah um it just gets you in that like mindset you're like I could kill any of these boys in yeah here. absolutely <laughs> yeah um absolutely. yeah I love this song I love it um right after give peace a chance <laughs> um I know um, it's yeah really kind of yeah it struck up. me because right. uh you know um, I looked at the names of the playlist or the names of the songs before, obviously, and I saw this and like shit list and I was like, okay, so we're definitely angry a little bit. Um, but then I kind of let it play and I, um, this, this started off. Um, and I think, um, the opening lyric, some people think little girls should just be seen and not heard, but I think, oh, bondage up yours. And that's basically, you know, the majority of the lyric going down, um, I love uh, female-led rock music because it feels like such a, a specific and um, direct way of rejecting like all of the um, typical or stereotypical like ways women should produce music or, or uh, you know, express their emotions. Um, and I think a recent example of that, I don't know if you guys saw Phoebe Bridgers on SNL, um, and she smashed her guitar and she like... I don't know she looked pretty cool doing it and she got all this like you know uh backlash on social media about how it wasn't like hardcore enough and how um 
she just looked awkward doing it and it's like she obviously responded to it in like a funny way she was like next time I will be a lot worse (laughs) um but I think that's a great point that like there will always be so much more critique for women in music whatever they do like if they're not sexy enough if they're too sexy I remember last year uh was last year the Super Bowl I think JLo and Shakira and there was all this flack that like what they wore was too sexual and that the Super Bowl was like family friendly um but like I'm sure if they wore something that covered them more they'd be like um would be considered like frumpy like I love like you know some of like the older like softer stuff that's in um the first half of our playlist I call it soft man music like mm-hmm. love <laughs> and some, like singer, like some quiet stuff but yeah I think like the second half of our playlist is just like very empowering like no matter of your position or identity yeah and then when those uh like conversations about the way that phoebe bridger smashes her guitar like who's setting those expectations for how you know women rockers should be rocking like it's obvious i can't imagine maybe it is other women actually but um you know rock in particular is such a feels like such a male dominated um genre compared to like pop music for example and yet even in something as female dominated as pop there's still um you know, listeners who are trying to gatekeep uh, the way that certain um, female pop artists look. And I think sort of in relation to that, like all the stuff that's coming out in the wake of the New York Times documentary on uh, Britney Spears, like the way that the paparazzi and like the media just completely eviscerated her when she was younger and made fun of like all of the parts of her um in the public and the way she was as a mother, the way she was in relationships, like there was, it was relentless. Um, and you know, I'm maybe it's because it's in the future and we're able to look back at it retrospectively. And like, you know, a lot of younger people right now are maybe more aware of the way that we're speaking about women in media that finally she's getting some sort of justice, but like after what, after how many years of, just truly awful things next up we have fortunate son by credence clearwater revival this is from willie and the poor boys from 1969 yeah i guess this one like maybe not as angry maybe a little angry um (laughs) (laughs) but it is going back to some of um some earlier themes about you know like anti- vietnam u.s involvement um and all that yeah and i thought a cool point um that i also learned when doing research was like that they kind of wrote the song to be um about the unfairness of class more than war itself and like there's a great quote it's the old saying about rich men making war and poor men having to fight them um which like just is very powerful and very not relatable because we're in a war, but it's an, it's an easily understood message. Um, and I think it's, it's also just like a really important resistance song in the whole class movement and the union movement and just the anti-war Vietnam movement. Um, 
And I think, like, in a way, like, here, to, like, bring it back to Ithaca College, like, we are the majority fighting, like, the few at the top. Next up, we have another Brick in the Wall Part 2. Um, this is from the album The Wall um, from 1979. I think this, again, is just, like, dare I say iconic? A very just well-known, like, anger song <laughs> um, <laughs> that I think you can put in, like, a lot of different, um, like, circumstances and situations. I think it definitely fits... Um, really well like into this you know the lyrics about school and education um and rising up I think are super pertinent um and just you know great a great listen but something that's super interesting is I didn't realize how poorly received this song was but it was very poorly received yeah um so apparently it wasn't actually written like, the whole school uh, metaphor is actually, like, a metaphor for, like, his emotional state. But, like, people took it so literally and were like, he's saying school is bad. And Margaret Thatcher was like, I hate this. Um, and, um, I mean, she's a whole nother conversation about, like, neoliberalism, but that's for another time. That's another podcast. Um part two but there was such it had such a like political knee-jerk reaction which I think was so shocking to Pink Floyd it was just so poorly received and so was our art demo Mm -hmm. Peggy Ryan Williams by the Open the Books Coalition and um it was not well received at all and people were like really angry and they were like this is detrimental blah 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 um but like ultimately it's the thing that like got us our notoriety and it was so important to our movement. And, like, I think this song, like, the kind of evolution of not the lyrics of the song, but, like, just the, like, the world's reaction to this song are very relatable to us. A hundred percent. I also think what's really interesting is, again, like Sarah said, this song was taken so literally. So people were like, uh, we have to save the children. What about the children? Which is what happens quite often in history. And <laughs> um, with, like, movements, with, um, like, cultural panics. And so, like, the satanic panic. I don't know if anybody knows. Um, but, like, when that happened, the main thing was, like, oh, no, like, we have to cha- save the children, like, for the children. Um, and that even, like, came up again um, in, like, the early aughts, the early 2000s, when school shootings became a lot more common, um, which I think is just interesting. And, like, you could, you know, definitely, like, dive into what that means, saving the children. But I think, ultimately, like, that can also be related back um, to the APP, as in, like, you know, you have, we have to, like, save the school. A lot of the rhetoric that has been used in these emails, like, the Ithaca Forever emails that we've all been getting is that, like, this is great. Like, this is for you, the students. If you stay around, it's going to be great. And they've really been, they as in the administration, have been weaponizing the students against the faculty and kind of pitting them against each other so that they don't work together. And also just 
in the sense of how we were very poorly received and not taken super seriously by the administration. It's like, obviously, you know, like they know the few people at the top, they know it's better for the entire school than everybody who's actually going to school here and working here and living through the day by day. So like they have to, you know, you could say like the children is the college or the children are the students, Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. Do you think that tactic of like the, the way that, um, the SLT, I guess, is sort of pitting faculty and students against each other. Do you think it's working at all? I I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> I hope not. Uh, it's not working with us. Um, but I do think it's interesting because we have talked. We've really been trying to, like, grow our base and talk to a lot more students, which is difficult, especially because we're so virtual, even though IC is open this semester and they weren't last semester. Like, people are on campus. But I don't know if people feel, like, um, like against or pitted against the faculty specifically but I know that a common feeling is that people just think it's inevitable or that it doesn't affect them so especially in like bigger departments um where like professors are safe people are like oh like this is fine or my favorite professors aren't getting fired um and if they are if you're in a smaller department a lot of people because of like what the admin have kind of fed people think that there's no other option and that of course this is going to happen that covid you know has been a struggle on everybody that all schools are going through financial deficits and maybe this isn't the best way to do it but this is what ic is doing and they have to do it um which you know is not not true in our opinion and not the message that we want to spread but it's what a lot of people feel yeah i think that messaging is sort of come through in her emails too like the the fact that this is inevitable and there's sort of um I don't know no way to get through to the SLT about making changes to these proposed changes and trying to I don't know um trying to find a different route I think it's just like the messaging is really trying to like discourage any sort of fight back um like their language is very tactical and chosen and we talk a lot about like the rhetoric used by the administration um especially like what we we're just talking about and weaponizing the students against the faculty and the staff like trying to put us into separate entities um which we're not <laughs> like we are all the Ithaca College community and i think it's ridiculous that they think like this group of students would not try to fight back in some way. Um, yeah, it's weird. Next up, we have Shitlist by L7 from the album Bricks Are Heavy from 1992. Who isn't on my shitlist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this song, I mostly wanted to put this song because it's another one of those like really emotional, like get your feelings out songs. And I think so often, like, we are just so angry. <laughs> and it's, like, it's really about, like, that feeling of betrayal. Like, that feeling that, like, you know, this is our community. We care so much about it. This is so important. And we are just being, like, stonewalled left and right. It's so frustrating. 
Um, and L7, like, in general, has such great songs with, like, really strong political messages, like um, Pretend We're Dead has, um, is all about, like, abortion rights. Um, and they just kind of, like, for me specifically, they just really speak to that, like, inner anger that I think a lot of times, like, women and young people are supposed to, like, keep inside um, and not, like, uh, explode about. But, like, you know, keeping things in just makes it come out ten times stronger. Um, at least that's what my therapist would say. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, I think shitless is just, like, yeah, we're angry. We're betrayed. <laughs> like, you are, we see that you are betraying us. And we're not gonna, like, just let it sit there and a boil and fester until like we can't do anything about it and we're just angry which definitely speaks directly to this movement and not even um what we as students are feeling but what a lot of professors are feeling that um we've been speaking to people who have worked in their departments for 20 years for 15 years for 25 years and they've either been fired with like very little information with no um conversation from their the chair of their department or from their dean just from like a top-down letter um people who feel totally blindsided and just yeah I mean I think if you're really invested in a movement a huge part of it is just um how you feel which is often super angry I think that's definitely fueled a lot of what we've been doing which you know can go back to our earlier conversation how do you save face and how do you look like put together so that people will um like take you seriously when you're constantly pissed off we have something that's really great also about our weekly meetings is that we often we always have a breakout room um for like the first 10 or 15 minutes to just kind of let people vent and we do have a lot of um a handful of professors who come to our meetings which is great just to hear everybody's perspectives but it's awful I mean we're trying right to like move forward we have this really strict deadline of when um this like in review period ends and when these layoffs become finalized which is March 1st so we have like this impending uh doom situation but like there's also so much emotion involved I know I like I'm just constantly so angry so it's good to like plug these like this song in and just like get some of that out yeah I was thinking about our earlier conversation and you know thinking of this song in particular like um, it is very grungy and, and angry and um, I don't know, it kind of seems uh, ridiculous to assume that any movement that you're truly passionate about isn't going to have some sort of anger behind that and it's not fair to then have to veil that and make it um, more appealing to the people that you're protesting against or the issue that you're fighting. Um, I think that was a discussion that was happening a lot over the summer with the Black Lives Matter protests because, and is always a conversation when there are uh, people of color protesting, like there's, you know, you, you have to appear um, perfect in your intentions and, and the way that you're protesting in order for the media not to portray you in a negative light. But ultimately that fight seems uh, fruitless because the, things that you're fighting against people can be um, very opinionated on. Um, and so 
Yeah, and then, of course, it's ironic that a lot of the protests that were happening over the summer were then infiltrated by white supremacists who were the ones that were causing the riots when a lot of the protests were peaceful. Yeah, and it, it would feel, um, I don't know, pointless to me personally to be a part of a movement that doesn't care so deeply about fixing an issue um, just through uh, conversation and uh, niceties or something. Right, and I mean, like, critics are really everywhere like to tie this back to our conversation about um female rockers too like if you don't do everything perfectly to like society's standards which are usually like people who are in power and in the position um who have the privilege like to say like what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong so if you do any little thing wrong then um you know like it's bad but if you do like there's just there's no winning there's no winning in movements there's no winning in music and anything really which like is so frustrating yeah and activism activism is never going to be like palatable like that's the whole point of it like it's not supposed to be formal it's not supposed to be like easy to digest it's like hard and it's uncomfortable and it makes you feel weird and that's literally the whole point of it and I think like that's I think that's why this song is also so important because it's like it is like rough and it's loud and L7 is like brash and they don't give any F's (laughs) um (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this I don't really know either to be honest (laughs) Okay. Okay. okay I think you'd probably just get a bleep out or something Okay, that's fair. Um, like, it's it's uncomfortable for people. And when we hear people say, like, you need to do activism in the, like, formal way, we're like, that's not activism. You're asking us to, like, destroy our movement. Um, so, yeah. I'm curious, um, and I'm not really sure if you can answer this or if this is something you would want to be on the podcast, but um, are you planning um, any more, you know, reactive um protests to happen on campus i i think we can sarah tell me tell me what you think i think we can answer i think like so yeah (laughs) yeah you know we can definitely answer this so i think (laughs) and sarah please add on um so we have like this very strict deadline and we have felt that you know all the admin can just turn a blind eye to us and they can just not take it seriously and like shut their doors, like turn their blinds on or whatever in PRW or in their homes. It's all so much easier now that so many things are remote. Um, but yeah, we are definitely planning um, like some sort of like further reaction, if not a handful before March 1st. I don't like... I can't really promote anything specifically just because we haven't nailed down anything, but definitely follow IC Open the Books. We usually publicize things about a week or a week and a half before we do them, um, and that is where a lot of, at least we try to, um, so yeah, a lot of our, um, that's where like all our promos and things are, um, but yeah, sometimes, I think a couple times we've had 
maybe once or twice just like a call to action if we're doing something that like we haven't really planned but like the time and the day strikes so if you really want to be involved like turn on our post notifications um but yeah we definitely <laughs> um try to like publicize things as wide and far enough in advance as we know them um but yeah, like there's definitely going to be some more in-person actions in the next couple weeks. It's going to be, um, mm-hmm. you know, like the okay. intensity is definitely in a ramp. All right. Our last song is Working Class Hero by John Lennon from his 1970 album Plastic Ono Band. So I guess this is kind of on the nose um, for like <laughs> our movement. We are like students for labor action. We care a lot about giving the voice to the working class and it's very like representative of like how the like the roles are played out within not our movement within open the books but in like the fight that we're fighting um because it's a lot about like individuals being processed into the machine and I think like in a way, a lot of the faculty and staff here are seen as quite disposable and seen as just part of the machine that is Ithaca College. And a lot of people would say, like, you know, this is turning into a business, not a school. Um, And I think, like, we have to think about, like, our working class heroes, our faculty, our staff who are, like, doing the hard work they're teaching us they are cleaning our dorms making it covid safe they are serving us food and we need to appreciate them and i don't think they feel appreciated and i think that's really important for us to emphasize like these are the people we are here for definitely and i think to go off of that even just opening campus right now puts so much pressure on those like on the lowest of the hypothetical totem pole and labor has been so displaced so since there's so much covid protocol a lot of that has fallen on um people like in the sanitation staff RAs who have to who are students who have to police people um a lot more than normal with like little information and I know like dining is such a mess right now from what I've heard from Sarah and other people who are on campus and people are um for the majority like eating their rooms or eating in their dorms which means that there's so much more waste for um people like to pick up and obviously you know like they're not having any pay increase or anything and even after this app process after supposedly um if it goes to plan is that professors are going to have an increased workload of more classes and then more students in each class and they're not going to have like a pay increase um or anything i think this song is great because it kind of ties together a bunch of themes of our personal movement and of this playlist which is really cool um but to like Sarah's point about how our professors are working class something that um one of my professors shout out to uh professor plant in the sociology department she has been really involved she's come to a lot of our things and a lot of our meetings she's also a co-chair which is really great to hear like her opinion of you know um 
from a chair's perspective of everything that they have to do in the APP process, which is awful. But her point, and this makes sense because she teaches social theory, is that, you know, I think at our first movement, she, like, immediately, like, quoted Marx and in our meeting on Tuesdays like somebody said something and she typed in the chat like that's so Weber um but one of her points is that the professors are laborers and that their conditions are good they're much better you know than somebody would associate with somebody in working class they're not like um physical laborers but they have to do so much right in addition to teaching a professor has to constantly like um prepare for next semester also in the humanities and sciences you're expected to have like a certain amount of published work and always be working on like your own stuff and there's just like so much involved so to kind of like increase that without anything else we've also had some recent conversations that professors have just felt like super blindsided obviously but just treated super badly that in a lot of the rhetoric that they've received from the administration it's not a like we're so happy to have you here and you were so valued but rather than a rather uh like you should be really grateful to us you're lucky to have a job right now which definitely like pits faculty against each other because people you know don't want their friends and peers to leave but they also don't want to be fired um you know everybody's trying to have health care during a pandemic to take care of their families and their kids um and so they can qualify in the 1b um section to get their vaccines earlier like it's just all so convoluted. Yeah, and I think, like, to the point of, like, staff, um, which this may, could also be, like, a criticism of our movement even, but, like, staff are so not talked about, and the fact that there's been so many staff laid off, and we are, like, so understaffed at Ithaca College, which is, like, why things are running so... Um, terribly <laughs> but like I think like you know we see the faculty so head-on but like the staff are the people that are like letting us in the classrooms they are the people like making the conditions of the college and I think like they want to be heard and they want to be seen and especially from us like we are fighting I think not only for the faculty, but for the staff. And I think maybe we should do a better job of emphasizing that. I think, you know, in any social movement, you're going to have gaps and you're going to have problems. Like we are not perfect, but I think it's important to make the best effort to represent as many groups as we can, um, because we are ultimately trying to create a benefit for the whole Absolutely. entire school. And so even before this ATP process, there were lots of staff and faculty members furloughed at the beginning of um, the spring. So it since the spring, 260, I believe is the number of staff who have been furloughed and laid off. Some of those people have come back, but the majority of them have not. Um, so even like before all this, all like we got super involved, there was already so much happening last semester people being forced into early retirement people you know not get it getting their usual stipends or like retirement benefits and just being told that they had to leave the college 
um, in addition to It is kind of important that all of this is happening during a pandemic and that just the fact that, like, you're losing your job and not having a source of income during a pandemic is really, uh, you know, frustrating and disturbing. What I think goes along with that is, like, by extension of them losing their job, they're also going to be losing their health care. Um, and that brings out, a, like, a whole other conversation about how, in my opinion, healthcare shouldn't be tied to your job and all of that. But that's the fact of the matter right now. And um, that's an extremely frustrating part of this for me, that not only are these people losing a source of income, they're also losing something that will maybe keep them healthy during a global health crisis. Totally. And like, I think another thing too, is that there's so much like fraught tension about the APP that we're forgetting that the baseline is that people are being fired during a pandemic, which is already pretty terrifying. But it's like, that's so obvious now that like, we're not mentioning it as much as we should, because that in of itself, like, is called a call for action and everything. Um, and supposedly, like, something that President Collado and other members of the SLT have said is that this has nothing to do with COVID. This has nothing to do with, like, all the money that we've spent. Um, we are do like, we started this process before, which is true. The APP process began, I think, in late um, 2018, so before the pandemic. But, you know, a lot of people, including my response to it, is... If, like, this supposedly isn't related at all, why is it happening right now, right? Like, if these times are so unprecedented and, like, so crazy, then wouldn't it make sense to make sure that as many people, um, like, have health care as they can and that this process gets paused or at least stopped into, like, we're in a better position because, you know, like the cases in Ithaca have definitely been on the rise for a while and like the whole like last couple months have just been crazy case wise. So it just doesn't make sense. Okay, well, that levels. wraps up our songs. Um, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was a really cool conversation. Um, before we go, do you want to plug anything, any events you have coming I would say definitely follow us on Instagram um, at IC Open the Books. Sarah does a great job of managing it. Top-notch memes, top-notch information. Uh, we also have <laughs> a Facebook page, which is Students for Labor Action, um, and then an email um, if anybody like has any questions or thoughts um, that they want to contact us with. It's studentsforlaboraction at gmail.com. Yeah, and we have meetings every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, where we plan, we chat, we just discuss kind of everything. Yeah, they're super fun, and we love seeing new faces because, um, yeah, we want this movement to be as big as possible. That was Remixing. You can listen to Julia and Sarah's playlist, Open the Books, on Spotify, linked in the description. I'd like to thank Ileana, our podcast editor, and today's guests, Julia and Sarah. This episode is dedicated to all the incredibly intelligent and kind faculty at Ithaca College who have supported students and each other throughout this taxing process. You can listen to Remixing on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Music. Follow The Ithacan on Instagram and Twitter at Ithacan Online and like us on Facebook. Thanks to our listeners for being part of this week's mixtape. Thank you.